Hello there and welcome to the Whole Healed Holy Podcast, a place for conversations of the heart, for exploring healing, divinity, and all things sacred. I'm your host, Patricia Russo. I'm a mystic, muse, and spiritual teacher, guiding women into their hearts with a journey of softening. I'm a published poet, a lover of hearts, and a forever student. Welcome, love, to a sacred pause and hopefully a few tingles, and to a reminder that we are all whole, healed, and holy. I'm so happy you are here. Let's slip into today's episode. This sister is my favorite. I feel deeply connected to her in a multiple lives type of way. And our love story is a treasure that I hold close. That we met during our first 200-hour yoga teacher training. That we had a standing date with each other for yoga and pasta when we both lived in San Francisco. And that we've held each other, loved each other, and witnessed each other evolve over a decade has meant so much to me. Dr. Erica Matluck is a modern medicine woman and the creator of Seven Senses, a holistic framework for healing and transformation. She's trained as a naturopathic doctor, family nurse practitioner, Reiki master, and multidisciplinary yoga instructor. Combining over a decade of experience working in conventional and alternative medicine, she brings a truly holistic lens to well-being, addressing the physical, mental, and emotional and spiritual aspects of health. Ancient wisdom and Eastern philosophy thread through her work, which has been featured in Harper's Bazaar, Mind Body Green, Well and Good, Vogue, and Women's Health. She signs every email with this Iyengar quote, health is a state of complete harmony of the body, mind, and spirit. When one is free from, from physical disabilities and mental distractions, the gates of the soul open. I like to start every episode with the biography of my guest that you can easily find on your own. And then I like to move to my gift of how I see this guest. I've always seen you as light. In a sea of yogis in our beloved urban flow, your light called to me the most. And I've witnessed over the years how this light of you has beckoned so many. There is a pure essence of love and healing energy about you. And I've lost count of the times when I've called on this energy to support me on my own journey. The way that you helped me to wake up my kundalini in Tulum and shook me out of a deep pattern at Shinalani. The tender way that you witnessed me with my sister Liz and guided her back to herself in our shared retreat. The wise words that you gifted me the days after she died. And when I expressed my impatience to you about my being in aloneness or my fear about the cancer that was in my body, you have been there every step of the way. Light and love and a true healer in every sense. You are steady and safe, a vault. You touch us all in a way that reminds us who we have the potential to be. You skillfully use your tools in this lifetime and source from a million others to walk your own path, which inspires us, and to touch the lives of so many for the better. If I didn't know you, Erica, I would be in awe of you. But this awe of you is gifted to me so generously and so freely that it has become a sacred treasure to me. You are love. And I'm so happy to have this moment with you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I would love to just open with this idea of the spiritual aspects of health. Can you talk about what, what this means, the spiritual aspects of health? And is this where your curiosity about plant medicines begin? I'm just kind of taking a little leap here with this, but I'd love to just have you deepen in with us around what are the spiritual aspects of health as you see it? Yeah, I started my journey in more of the unseen realms, you know, as you know, my mother passed away when I was a young girl and I always felt this connection with her. And I think that loss really sort of opened the door to like the unseen. And 
my initial journey in healing, or at least as like a healer, began with a Reiki master training or with a Reiki training, which then led to a Reiki master training. And I worked with energy for a really long time before I sort of like took my attention more to the body and the physiology of the body and naturopathic medicine and nursing. And for a very long time in my work, I couldn't really figure out, I knew that there was a connection between like energy and the unseen and the spirit and the soul's journey. Also this like experience in the body, I couldn't really figure it out. I mean, to some degree, there's an element of the spiritual aspect of health that will always remain a mystery. Death will always be that thing that we can't completely touch when we're in this form, in this state of consciousness. But I really like to figure things out and get in my head. So I really wanted to understand like how these two things were connected. And what it ultimately led to for me after years of working in conventional medicine and sort of just like observing themes that I had seen through my yogic study, through energy work, through chakra work, and then like sort of correlating patterns with physical illness and physical disease, and then sort of looking at mental health and emotional experience. It sort of came together as this framework that I now call seven senses. And it's, in my opinion, like an updated version of, of holistic. I think we have a tendency in the conventional world today to, to refer to holistic as inclusive of supplements or uh, mindfulness and stuff. But my version of holistic is a little bit more broader than that. And it really sort of zooms out beyond the environment, the cosmos, and into the unseen realms. So for me, this idea of health I often use the terms health and self interchangeably because I think what's happened is the current paradigm of medicine has compartmentalized health into primarily the body. Really, it's just in the last decade that mental health has even entered the conversation. You know, when I worked in conventional medicine, I would put people on disability because they were having various types of disabling experiences. It was very easy for me to get the state of California to approve it for a broken leg. But it was really hard for me to get the state to approve it for chronic fatigue or panic attacks because those live in the unseen realms, right? Like our world likes things that can be proved by the senses. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the spiritual aspect of health, when I talk to new clients or patients, I usually define it in two ways. I say, this is the part of your health or yourself where faith comes in. And I also think there's this huge aversion among some people in this day and age to the term faith because it's associated with organized religion. But at the end of the day, faith is a part of health because as you know, when you're on a healing journey, there's always going to be a point where there's no certainty, there are no promises. In a chronic condition, I can't promise you anything. I'm pretty confident that I can help you most of the time, but I can't guarantee you when your pain is going to end, when you're going to arrive to a new place and what that place is going to look like. Some people refer to these moments as the dark nights of the soul, but this is a part of health. No one is perfectly healthy and well for their entire lives. We all have these moments. Maybe in a rare case, this moment doesn't come until very close to death, but this is a part of the human journey. So with the spiritual, acknowledging the spiritual aspect of health is sort of bringing in that trust that there is a great intelligence, that there is meaning, and that 
even when we can't see it or we don't know what the meaning is, we know that there is meaning. And that's what keeps us going in these like most difficult moments. So it's really important, right? Because if we didn't have that at all, what's the point? And a lot of people might say that. What is the point of all of this? And I spent a lot of my career working with people who have or had conditions that we don't have treatments for, right? Chronic fatigues and fibromyalgia and Lyme, chronic digestive issues, electromagnetic sensitivities, right? The kinds of things that most conventional doctors will kind of just send you to a psychiatrist for. And one thing that I can say is that it's a very, very rare case in my experience that eventually a new purpose or meaning doesn't come out of these difficult healing crises, healing journeys. And I think you can probably attest to this. It's in these really dark moments, these hard moments that we like discover what we're here to do sometimes, or we discover a new expression of our purpose that connects us to oneness, to the unity consciousness, that unique piece of the puzzle that we're here to occupy. And to me, that's why spirituality has to have a place in health. Because if it's not there, it's just kind of like, what's the point of it all? Yeah, it's a missing, there's, it's a missing piece. It's not complete. So was this curiosity about this or the idea that there is an intelligence, that there is a divine order, that piece of it, was that what first intrigued you or piqued your curiosity around exploring plant medicine? Or was this always something, would you say this is part of the divine intelligence or this is a tool in order to help you to tap into and to learn from this divine intelligence? Like what is plant medicine to you? And speaking to those that might be listening that don't have any experience with it or don't even know what we're talking about, I would love for you to get really clear about what it has meant for you, like what it means to you very specifically. Yeah, and then maybe we'll deepen in there a little bit. Well, I'll tell you the story because my path into plant medicine actually was like a parallel path to my work as a healer or in healing. And it sort of came out of nowhere. So I was a pretty experimental teenager and I had some experiences as a teen with psilocybin and MDMA that didn't end well. And I kind of, in my maybe even early 20s, swore off that. I said, I'll never do this again. And I found yoga and meditation and I felt really good about that path. And I said, I'm definitely like an explorer of consciousness and a psychonaut in my heart. But I decided that my path to get there was yoga and meditation and contemplative practices. And then it was actually around the time of our friendship when I ended up, when I went into conventional medicine, I was practicing in primary care as a naturopathic doctor and a nurse practitioner. So I was working with a lot of these people that had these like sort of chronic incurable conditions that weren't being well served by conventional doctors. And what ended up happening is that I started doing a lot of work in mental health because if you're sick and no one can figure it out, usually that results in some depression, right? And even if we just sort of look at the biochemical or physiologic basis of some of these conditions, it often comes with depression or anxiety. So I became almost like a subspecialist in mental health, holistic approaches to mental health. And I was working with groups in San Francisco at the time when CIIS, the, the California Institute of Integral Studies, was launching their first psychedelic, I forget what they call it. It was like a psychedelic integration program for therapists. And I had some colleagues in the program so I was like hearing a lot about it and started getting into the research, digging into the research on what was going on at Johns Hopkins and NYU. And the research was really compelling. But of course, I had this imprint from my early days where I was like, that's not my path. And then, of course, I fell in love 
as you know, with my partner who had a different experience with those entheogenic medicines. About maybe a year later, he went down to the Amazon for the first time without me to do this ayahuasca retreat. And we said goodbye to each other. He got on the plane. He went there. He went into the jungle, sent me a text before he went in, said, you know, I'm not going to have service and I'll see you on the other side kind of thing. At this time, I was in New York. And then a couple of days later, I was scheduled to fly back to San Francisco. And the first night that he went into his ceremony, I was at JFK waiting for my plane to go back to San Francisco. And out of nowhere, I got violently ill in the airport. I couldn't get on the plane. I called my dad. He picked me up. I spent the night at his house. That night, I felt feverish. And you know, when you kind of have a fever and there's kind of like a weird delirium where you're like in and out of sleep. And I remember just sort of posing this question, like, what is this? Because it was a weird sickness. (laughs) This is like long before the days of COVID. And I saw this image of Paul drinking the medicine. So I was like, that was interesting. Then the next morning I woke up, I was fine. I flew back to San Francisco. And then a few days later, I'm always like a very vivid dreamer, but this dream was probably the most vivid dream of my life where I, in the dream, I was in a relationship with Paul, my partner, and another man in my life had revealed to me that he was in love with me and wanted to be together. And I told him that I was flattered and interested, but unavailable because I was with Paul. And then in the course of the dream, I had this realization that Paul was not devoted to me or committed enough to the relationship. So I went back to this other man and I said, guess what? Like, I realized that Paul isn't my person and I'm available and I want to be with you. And I looked into the man's eyes and it was Paul. A day later, Paul emerges from the jungle and I get a text from him that said, you know, hey, babe, I'm out. It was amazing. I'll call you as soon as I have good Wi-Fi, but I want you to know I love you and I'm so devoted to you. Wow. So when he got to the phone, we had a conversation and I said, that's really interesting because I had this dream and devoted is not usually a word I would use. And it was so vivid. And he said to me, that's so crazy because the night you had that dream in my ceremony, I was given a new heart and I became a new man. And so I said to him, I'm going to that jungle. (laughs) So a few months later, we went together and that was my first experience. And uh, we did a retreat in a key, outside of Iquitos in Peru with a bunch of Shipibo healers. And it was very, very profound for me because the Shipibo work, when people talk about plant medicine, there are a lot of different types of traditions out there. So it's not really a one size fits all thing. For me, My love for the work is not just, you know, that you drink the medicine and it opens up these other worlds or expands your perceptual range. range. It's actually the Shipibo work that like inspires me so much because they bring together. It was almost like I got there and I was like, I understand every piece of my journey now. I understand how like the energy comes in. I understand how the plants come in. I understand how sound comes in. And the way they weave it together just like made so much sense for me that it felt like it validated my entire life. A piece of my history I haven't shared yet is that in college, I majored in anthropology. And the reason was because I was interested in how other cultures in the world heal. And that really was like the foundational theme of my study. It was like the intersection of health and culture and understanding different ways to heal. So that took me all over the world in my 20s, this This story I'm telling you wasn't until my late 30s. So when I majored in anthropology, 
part of the driver for that was like, well, I think I want to go into some form of medicine or healing work, but I don't know exactly what it is because I don't think it's an MD, but I'm really interested in working in other parts of the world and with other cultures and understanding how other people do things. And so here I found myself now like 20 years into my career, kind of like right back in what I knew in the very beginning that like the answers I was looking for, the models, the mentorship, it was not in my own culture. And that was really profound for me because I've spoken about this publicly a lot in my writing, but uh, one of the biggest challenges for me in my career is I've really mostly experienced the type of mentorship of people showing me how I don't want to do things. Even through all of naturopathic school, through massage school, through Reiki training, through yoga training, through nurse practitioner training, through clinical uh, resonances and shadow experiences, I really never found a model where I was like, I want to be like you. I want to practice like you. Mm. It was sort of always, I like this thing that you do, but I don't like all these other things. And getting into the Shipibo environment, of course, like I work very differently. I'm a, you know, licensed Westerner and I certainly am not like practicing like a Shipibo healer or maestro, but it was the first time for me where I just felt so inspired by the whole approach, the holism of it. Can you share with us a glimpse of what that experience is just so that we have a better understanding? I'll share with you sort of like my understanding or my exposure of like the path to becoming a healer or a maestro in that culture. It's a really, really deepening relationship with the plants themselves. So the Shipibo language language was given to them by the plants. And when they go down the path of being a healer, they do something called a dieta, or they do many of these dietas. And when you do a dieta, you're basically entering into what I like to call the sacred classroom of the plants. It involves a lot of fasting, sometimes no food and water, sometimes just no food, a lot of silence and solitude, and drinking extracts of the master plants that you want to learn from. The master plants are not psychedelic plants, but then you're using ayahuasca to sort of open the door. So you're doing ceremonies throughout the dieta to open the door for communication with the master plants. They teach you their gifts and they come through in the form of vibration and songs called ikaros. And so a healer in the Shipibo tradition, basically like, this is another thing I love about it. There's so much humility in the structure they're not really like a shaman. They're really just like a vehicle for the plants to come through. And when you're in a ceremony with a Shipibo healer, all the plants that they have dieted are working on you. And each one of those plants has different personality and different gifts and different things to offer. So if you sit in ceremony with different Shipibo healers with that are holding different diets, it's a very different experience and a very different frequency. But they very much refer to the plants as people. This one has this personality and this one's this and That gave a lot of life to my botanical medicine training because in naturopathic school, we do five years of botanical medicine training. It's We get really intimate with plants, but they were never personified in that way. And there was something about that like personification that really ignited all of this study and knowledge from my earlier years and new ways of really bringing botanicals into my personal and professional life that felt way more alive and aligned and powerful. Yeah. If the plants are all personified, are they teaching one universal message to whoever's working with them? Or do they have a unique message for each person? And is it your unique message? And is that through the ayahuasca experience that you're gifted 
a unique bit of wisdom from the plants that you work with or are they all is it sort of more of a universal message or wisdom I think probably both happen at different times. You know, most of the time when you sit in a ceremony with a bunch of individuals, people are going in with their own intentions, right? And the plants are working on them individually. The plants are also working on the field. But I think that you could, with a group of people, go in with a shared intention and probably receive some similar messages, but it's almost like think about the plants like surgeons and energy workers and different doctors and specialists, right? So if you're coming in with wanting to heal your heart and someone else is coming in wanting to work on their physical body or some unresolved trauma from childhood, it's like it's not necessarily going to be the same approach or message or work for each person. Okay. And I just have this vision of the Shipibo just singing all the time. <laughs> if that's how they, like, there must be a lot of, I had this actually on my um, list of questions because I remember there was something that came through for you around melody or a harmony or a, a certain, because we've been singing Kirtan, this is part of the bhakti that you and I fell in love, we, where we fell in love and where our beginning begins. But can you speak to that a little bit? So the, the fact that there's a lot of song here in this culture, and in this tribe of healing, of healers? As I said, that's how the plants come through them. So in a ceremony, there's a lot of singing. And my experience of it is like a psychic surgery. You know, they're singing and you can like really feel the vibration of the song coming into your body and moving things. And there are times when like the song almost feels like it's gone beyond sound, right? Where it like, it feels like it's pinning you down or it's helping move something. And the power of sound is certainly not unique to this particular tradition, right? If we look throughout history and in cultures around the world, sound plays a, an important role in a lot of different traditions for good reason. So there's it's like no secret that the world is sound and that sound is vibration and it moves even down to the cellular level, things in different patterns, some being more harmonious and some being more dissonant, but there's a place for all of it. So sometimes we need like a more dissonant frequency or a dissonant sound. I don't have the perfect terminology because I'm not a sound person, but you know, sometimes we need dissonance. And really what I was getting at was just to really learn more about what the sound piece and how that affected you and like what you learned really from the sound piece after one ceremony, I remember, and it maybe was just me or something that I heard you say or something that you shared on social even around just having a new melody or coming into relationship with your own voice and your own song in a different way. That was really profound for me as I've been witnessing you and as I witness my own relationship with Kirtan and with singing and with my voice and this idea of coming into my voice. And so I really just wanted to touch on that to see what was there, like what came through for you. Yeah, well, you know, in my experience, this is sort of just the way it all translates for me. I feel like the plants want us to sing. And the way that it lives in my mind, it's almost like when you watch plants, they're never static. They're always either very slightly moving or they're moving. And it makes me think a lot about like when you want to get to the front at a concert, you can't do it if everything's like not moving. It's like it's with the movement that you get through. And so I sort of equate speaking like that sort of stagnant place mm. and singing is almost our version of using our voice like plants move. For whatever reason, this is the way I feel like I understand it. 
I mean, almost everyone I know who has done dietas and is on like a plant medicine journey, you know, meaning like they've done more than just a ceremony here or there, starts singing. And in my experience, in my first dieta, I found parts of my voice box that I just couldn't previously access. In ceremony, like, it, I was able to make noises from those that place or like, I guess more just to kind of stick with my analogy, it was like I was able to move into a place or places in my voice and throat that I had never been able to move into before. And ever since then, I sing. <laughs> I'm certainly not the best singer in the world, but I sing. And when... Another thing that's like come up for me, not just in my work with plant medicine, but very, very much in motherhood is this like real deep need and desire to like give back, to make offerings, to offer something. And so in my experiences with plant medicine, like it's sort of the way we pray or offer to the plants is through song. So I use it a lot. You know, the plants are happy when we're singing to them. They like that. And maybe because the vibration like helps them move and maybe because it's just like, that's the way that their language flows. I don't know, but I know that they're happy. They're happier with song than just talk. Mm, That's so beautiful. I would love to just switch gears a little bit and talk about how the teachings have informed your work. I'm imagining that because you came to it so naturally and because it was part of your original curiosity and it really was more of an affirmation that it's been just a seamless integration, but have there been some big ways or some unexpected ways in which your journey with plant medicine have deepened or added a layer or amplified or taken you in a different direction with your work since you started your plant journey? I mean, it's definitely impacted me dramatically, not in sort of the technical sense where it's like, I'm not like leading plant medicine ceremonies, that kind of thing. It's not like now I'm using that as my medium or anything. I would say, but once you start dieting with the plants, you are merging with the plants. So it's almost like whatever you do, their touch their wisdom, their gifts are coming through you in what you do. So that's huge. They're working through me in ways that I can't tell you. I don't even know. But the biggest way that I think they are working through me or with me that I'm very well aware of is I have a much, much deeper trust in the process, whatever that looks like. So as you know, I I do these retreats. You've come on many of them. And in the beginning, I mean, I can't wait for you to come again since Paul and I have started dieting because before we dieted, it was like 80% planning and structure, and this is what we want to happen. And this is what we're going to do to make sure that that happens. And post-dieting, it's been like 2080, where like we plan. I mean, obviously now we've done it a dozen times. So we have a, a structure and we have ways that we do things and we know what's going to happen, but we also know we don't know what's going to happen and we're okay with that. And we're like very much in trust that whatever does happen is going to be perfect. Right. I think we can trust each other more and we can just sort of trust the process more. And I'd say that the same thing comes through my work with people one-on-one. I think when I was a less experienced practitioner in my work. 
there was always this like desire to want to be the practitioner working with someone when they have their breakthrough, right? Because it feels good. They give you a really good testimonial. It's like really fun to be the person that they're working with when the big breakthrough happens and they're like, you're a miracle worker and thank you so much. And we all need those moments in our career. It's really special and it's a part of the process. But for all of those, there are a lot of people I work with where like they're working with me before they're ready for the breakthrough or they're working for me after a breakthrough and they want another peak moment. They want another breakthrough. But like the big yeah. work now is I want a breakthrough every time I go on retreat. <laughs> I want to break through every time. And I think sometimes, I mean, I, I always get what I'm looking for and more, but yeah. Well, and I think that on those retreats, like they're built for breakthrough and some integration and there's always going to be, you know, a new insight, but there's like different levels of breakthrough. And you know that there are subtle breakthroughs, which is like, oh, I had this insight and that's really profound and that's going to change the way I show up here or there. And then there's some breakthroughs, which are like life-changing instantly. But my ability to be comfortable being the person that you work with during the preparatory part for the breakthrough or the integration of the breakthrough or just those lulls, the plants have taught me that. The yin, really, the feminine, to like really to honor those spaces in between. And it feels like a deeper humility or like... um... Yeah, it just feels like a really humble place, like just being in service without any expectation. feels really beautiful. Yeah, I love this. And it feels also I've been anybody who knows you and anybody who works with you knows what it feels like to be the beneficiary of the work and the practices that you do. It's like you have a sense that you're the beneficiary of all of that. And so that's what I'm eager and you've presenced it already. It's like I'm eager to do retreat number five post plant medicine journey so that I can feel the beneficial, like be the beneficiary of this wisdom um, through you. And I love that. I love that you're feeling that and you're allowing that. And even just in the four, because I was on the very first retreat and then stayed with it for four times and just saw the, just the evolution of that, the early evolution of that. And now you're set a dozen or so. And now there's a waiting list even. I'm like, um, I have to like the waiting list. There's like a waiting list. So yeah, this is beautiful evolution of it and the evolution of your own journey and the evolution of your own practice. You touched on Orion. I would love to just to give you a moment to just talk about motherhood. This is and you said, yeah, you just touched on it just briefly, but I would love to just, you know, have you just tell us where you are with motherhood and how this boy of yours has been a teacher too, maybe, on your path. It's The biggest death and rebirth I could imagine. I had no idea what I was coming into. I have the deepest, deepest respect for all mothers across the world in a way that makes me want to say I'm sorry for all the years that I didn't. And the first place I come back to is that word devotion. You know, I think you and I, we share our bhakti practice and earlier in my life, which is a devotional yoga practice, devotion was so aesthetically beautiful to me, right? Like you and me both, we had the clothing and the malas and the smells and the light and the sounds and the kirtan and the people. It's so beautiful. and. Motherhood is so far from that. My son is almost two. I showers are few and far between. There's breast milk on every shirt I own. I'm rarely dressed nicely. My hair is never done. And it's everything is second to him. You know, it's true devotion. I will go hours without eating if he needs both of my hands for something else. And That's been a really humbling experience and also a really powerful experience. And it also like brings up a lot of anger and resentment at the world 
because like we scroll Instagram and you can follow a lot of mothers who like their bodies look great and they're beautiful and their brands are together. And you're kind of like, how are you doing that? Or who's doing right? Is it, is it that someone else is watching the kid or is it that like someone's doing your business? Like, how did you find the time to do that? And I feel really grateful that I waited until my forties to have a kid because I'm at a place in my life where like, I felt confident with where I was in my career. I felt comfortable putting it on hold. I have a partner that I love. I felt less insecure about kind of letting my body go or the wrinkles on my face and all that stuff that like, I think modern culture just uses against women, but it's still there. And I think that what I really learned when I became a mother is like how we treat mothers, which is not good and not respectful. And I don't just mean mothers of children. I mean, the great mother earth. And I think about how much she's fed me and clothed me and warmed me and cared for me and sang to me through the birds and how rarely in my life I've said, thank you. So when people ask me this, I always really like to share that becoming a mother has like gotten me in touch with a level of anger and resentment that I could never have imagined. It's real and it's fiery and I'm mad at the world. And like the beautiful gift that I found is that the best way for me to sort of express it and transmute it and move through it is to say thank you and make an offering to Mother Earth and to support other mothers and, you know, look them in the eye in those really, really hard times and just with like a look of acknowledgement. I think it's a real thing that like, you know, we live in a culture that it's sort of like we reward mothers for like, staying on top of their businesses and keeping their relationships sexy and hot and their bodies looking good. And that's what we are celebrating. But like, there's no way of doing that in the first few years of your kid's life that don't take you away from your kid. And so a big part of our parenting has been about like, how do we be present enough that our kid won't have attachment issues when he starts moving into the relationship years himself? I just don't see a way to do that, to like really give him my presence and also show up for my body, for my business, for my partnership, for my friends and family, the way that I used to. It's full on and it's selfless. And one of the things that I loved witnessing when Orion was born is how you did put everything on hold, Erica. Like you took a little hiatus from social and you took a little hiatus from your business, which was, I think, just very intentionally built in when he first came into the world. And I know how difficult that is and the amount of trust that that takes, that it'll be here when you come back, (laughs) that we will all be here when you come back. I think that was incredible inspiration for how it really should be done. Like the world should stop and the mother should be in absolute devotion in those early moments. I think you took that break for a long time. It was like, it was months and months and months, I think, at least as I witnessed it from knowing you and knowing this work deeply around the chakras, which you've taught me the development of the root chakra in these early years. It's like so profound. And it's the job of the mama and the papa to like really shore that foundation up. And so I know full well that that's been your priority number one with him. And witnessing you put everything on hold has been an incredible inspiration. And this is, I think, how we begin to change the appreciation and the awareness and the gratitude and the perception is that we we do our part to add to the conversation in real ways. And I feel like you've really done that. And to little Orion's benefit (laughs) and all of us and his future partner. (laughs) I want to wrap up by asking you the three questions that I end every episode with. And the first one is of the three words that I use in my mantra. And, you know, these are from the Osho deck, which you introduced me to whole healed and holy. 
which one of these do you relate to the most in this moment and why? I think that I love all three of these words. They're all, they're, they're so poetic, but I'd go with whole because I think whole includes healed and holy. In general, I shy away a little bit from the term healed because I think it suggests that we're, in my opinion, we're always healing. We're always healed, but like the healing never ends. There's always something that's healed and something new that's healing. And I don't love the term healed without healing next to it in some way, because I feel like it suggests stagnation in the process. I love that you have holy in these series of words because the path to wholeness, the path of healing is truly is like a holy path. It's so sacred and beautiful and special and unique. But for me, pretty much all of my work and the way that I orient to the journey of the seeker in me orients to, it's the whole that keeps me seeking, right? It's being in pursuit of the whole and knowing that I'll never completely get there until maybe after this life. But the whole is inclusive of everything and nothing. That's why I choose that one. A book that you love or that you've gifted the most? A book that I love is called Initiation by Elizabeth Haish. And I love it because it's a woman's story of awakening and remembering that has a lot of parallels with my own story of remembrances of past lives and things, but also like deep wisdom teachings embedded in it. A lot of books that are teachings are not as easy to get through, right? Like how many times have I tried to read the sutras? You know, it's like I have to read a page 10 times sometimes for it to really sink in. But I love initiation because I've read it numerous times because of this reason, because it's like, it's a story and it's someone's story. There is so much, so much to learn in there. And the other one I'll just throw in there because it's such a staple in in my life and on my bookshelf is The Gene Keys by Richard Redd. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Well, I haven't read Initiation, so I'll have to grab that one. A quote or mantra that you love or that guides you, that has guided you? So there are different ones for different reasons, but I'm going to give you the one that guides my work and like just my orientation to healing. It's a Carl Jung quote, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Mm. You know, and I love that because it's like so much of my work is, and life really is about bridging the unseen with the seen. And even like all this talk about plant medicine work, when you go into a plant medicine ceremony, it's like you're entering into these unseen realms. In other words, like places in your perception that we can't perceive when we're in this state of consciousness. And then you go there and you become conscious of it, right? And then, of course, there's a journey of bringing it into your life and working with it and integrating it. But it's true. It's like there's so much going on in the unseen realms. And if you're not aware of it, oftentimes it's guiding you, oftentimes in directions that you don't want to be going. So for me, so much of healing is just about becoming aware. Yeah, it's the work of the retreat, for example. Like really, that's the, at the end of the week, you're just so much more aware. Will you share your current work and how people can find you and maybe what you're offering right now or what you're looking, what you're calling in right now? Yeah, well, you know, the other thing that you mentioned, how I took a break when my son was born and that break has subtly continued because I've changed so much and the way that I do things needs to change. And really, 
I mean, having him has cracked my heart open and I can hold so much more space than I used to. So currently what, where my energy is focused is on mentoring professionals. So right now I'm working with a group of, of healers, practitioners. It's a six month container that is currently closed because we're in it. And there might be more of that coming. I'm also working on making some tweaks to the online course offerings that I have and potentially taking on a group that wants to do that with my oversight. People can stay tuned for that. And we have two retreats coming up. As you know, the May retreat in Majorca is sold out. We still have a few spaces in Ibiza in June. And that's pretty much what I've got right now. I'm very much sort of like restructuring my offerings and figuring out. No private practice for you at the moment, or do you have some private practice clients? Are you currently open to taking new private practice is happening, but private practice in this moment when we're recording is full. So what I tend to do is when people come on with me, they tend to work with me pretty intensively for the first three to six months. And then we start usually spacing out our sessions. So based on when people started, it changes when I open up my calendar for new people. So right now, my guess is probably toward the end of the year, maybe this summer, early fall, I'll be open for new one-on-one clients again. And People can find me on my website, experience7senses.com. And then they can also, of course, find me on Instagram where I'm less active than I used to be, but still pretty, pretty active. Wisdom there is really worth taking a look at. I mean, your diagrams have just gotten so prolific. This is really a gift that you have to be able to express the wisdom that you're sharing in a, in a really beautiful diagram. Really, over the years, they've evolved and they're getting really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your personal journey, your personal healing journey, and um, all the ways in which you're, what you're studying for yourself as a forever student have touched your work. And I really, 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 I mean, I love you so much, as you know, and I really appreciate you being here with me and um, and sharing so much of yourself. You're always so generous with what you share. I just love that about you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me that we have shared this moment of deep conversation. If you feel inspired or touched by something in this episode, please leave a comment and or a review. For more in all the ways, please find me at Whole Healed Holy on Instagram and at www.patricia-russo.com on the web. Stay close, please, and know that you are whole, you are healed, and you are holy. I love you. Until next time.